Well, good morning to each one. It's a beautiful Lord's Day morning. And so much that we could be doing outside, couldn't we? You know, when we have nice days like this. But God has called us to the house, his house to worship. And I believe that's where we'll receive the, the biggest blessing this morning. Send a welcome to each one of you. It's good to see the house well filled to hear the word of God. And last night I, I talked to the youth and we talked about purpose. And now this morning it's for your parents. I'm not going to let you off the hook. <laughs> you went home last night. Yes, that's what my youth needed to hear. <laughs> now it's your turn. <clears throat> This sermon could be for anybody in leadership position this morning. It's for church leaders. It's for parents. It's for school teachers. It's for employers. And I think a good many of you fit into that category, one of those categories probably. I've titled it Establishing Moral Authority in the Home. And that sounds like a very complicated title. It's been a number of years. I'll tell you a little bit of backstory on this, this title. A number of years, I don't know what I was researching for a sermon but I came across this little series on moral authority. And I think if I recall correctly, the speaker was speaking of the home, at least in part. And I've hung on to that, and later I developed a sermon on that, establishing moral authority in the home. And I know we talked about authority last night. I'm not hung up on authority, period. But there's wait and see what this definition means before you get any ideas about authority. You know, we as parents, or any of us in leadership, we tell people under us, our children, our employees, our members, we tell them to do things at times. And we would really like if they would listen to us. <laughs> but you know, the only way that those following us or those under us will listen to us is if we have some kind of authority in their life. If we hold no weight in their life and we hold no authority in their life, they won't listen. And I know for us as young parents, there's many of you here, we struggle with that. We train our children. We want them to listen to us. And even you older ones that have teenagers, you want your teenagers to listen to you and obey you. And it's a struggle sometimes because our children have their own will. It's a little different than just herding cattle. <laughs> It's a little different because they can choose to disobey. But this morning we want to look at some pointers to help us in leadership positions to help those under us obey us. We want to establish moral authority in our homes. And that home is going to be the center of our focus this morning, but you can apply it outside of that. You know, many people today resent authority. Many people in the world, in the church, in the home, they resent authority. And, and the unfortunate thing is, most of the time it's because they've been under somebody who abused their authority. And if you've ever spoken to someone who's, who's been under abusing authority, they are bitter, they are resentful, and they don't, do not like authority in the word. They don't like the word even. And it's a tragedy. It is a tragedy because as we spoke last night, for anybody to operate and function in society, they need to understand authority structure. God has set up all kinds of authority structures in the world. Government, our homes, the church, lots of authority structures. 
And you know, people that resent authority struggle to submit to any kind of authority. They do. And strangely enough, the people that despise authority are usually the ones who use it wrongly on others. Why does it turn out that way? I don't know, but it does. It does. And I guess they haven't seen the blessing and the stability that good authority can be in their life. But that's not the kind of authority we want to talk about this morning, this, this abuse, abusing authority that we, we're talking about. Godly authority is good. Godly authority is good because it's pure. It is carried out within biblical parameters. It is motivated by good goals. And it's motivated by good desires. And you know, it's not, it doesn't take you very long to figure out that someone that's bossing you around has a good goal or a good desire, does it? Our children can pick up on it. And even our small children can pick up on it. They know if mom or dad are telling them something just for a selfish reason. Or to not look stupid, you know, sometimes <laughs> they can pick that up. So is the authority in our homes a godly authority that has a good goal and a good desire? And I want to turn to Deuteronomy 6 for some verses to read and along that line. Deuteronomy 6. And I know these verses are used a lot, but we want to pull some different thoughts out of these verses than we normally do. Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes." And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. You know, we spoke of godly authority being motivated by good goals and desires. And the authority that God has over us is that. He says here, that he's given us commandments that you might do them in the land that you're going to possess. And in verse 3 he says, that it may be well with thee and that ye may increase mightily. And so God is not pushing his authority on us for any old reason. He's saying that it might be well with you. So there's a good goal and a good desire behind this authority. And if you look at the Old Testament law and the ceremonial law, you'll see that God did exactly that. Some of those things we read and we, we don't quite understand them. But when you start looking at disease and food preparation and all these things, God was sparing them many, many troubles that they might do well in the new land which they were going to possess. Another aspect that is brought out here in verse 2, he says, I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life. And so one of the burdens that we have as parents is that our children and our children's children would follow the Lord. And I, that's a burden for me. In too many churches, there's parents who, whose children go astray and their grandchildren, and yes, they have a will. They can choose to go the wrong way. 
But that is not what God has in mind for us. We are to teach our son and our son's sons. And we are to teach and preach a godly heritage, if that makes any sense. We're to leave a godly heritage to our children and our children's children. It's a good desire. It's a good goal. And so the authority we exercise in the home as parents is a godly authority with good goals. And yes, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren can be blessed by godly Christian authority in the home. And God's intent for parents having this authority in the home is for producing a fruitful posterity, a fruitful posterity, those who follow the Lord. It's important. We want to look a little bit about the authority structure in the home. I think we're well, well familiar with it. We have the father and the mother in the home. We have the children. And then we have Christ in the home as well. It's Christ, it's the father, his wife, the mother, and the children. And the world has us all turned upside down these days. The world has it all turned upside down. Well, God created man first. And God gave man the responsibility to guard and naming the animals. And then he created woman for the man. And so there we have the submission of the woman to the man. God told Eve, he said, she said, he said, Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So there we see some authority structures being put in place. And then Paul confirmed this in the New Testament in Ephesians 5, to 24. He says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Wives, yeah, wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. So, God, so Paul is laying this out as well, that there is a, there's an authority structure in the home, and that is important for ruling our families well. In fact, in 1 Timothy 3, it's one of the qualifications for bishops and deacons that we rule our families well. There is a godly authority in the home. And I believe that God will hold us accountable as parents for how we guide our homes he certainly did in Eli's case. If you go back to 1 Samuel 3, verse 10, it says, And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth. Because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice, nor offering forever. And we see here God dealing out significant judgment on Eli's house because he did not deal with his sons. And I think that we as parents need to take responsibility for our children. And yes, at some point they become a man and a woman on their own and they, par they bear personal responsibility. But I believe when they're in our house, we bear responsibility for our youth. And you know, sometimes we hear parents and they just say, well, I can't do anything about it. You know, he has his driver's license, he just goes where he wants. We need to hold our youth accountable in our home. I believe God wants us to do that. In this case, Eli's sons were desecrating the temple. And God told Eli, because you haven't restrained them and you haven't held them into account, there is judgment going to be poured out upon you. And yes, I do know 
The children do have their own free will. Our youth have their own free will. And, but I still think we're accountable for our efforts to teach them and to hold them into account. And I think it's important that we do that in the home. So we talked a little bit about authority. I think most of us know what authority is, but what is moral authority? And is there a difference? We want to look at establishing moral authority in the home this morning. Well, moral authority is authority that is premised on principles or fundamental truths and necessitates the existence of and adherence to the truth. And so basically what that's telling us as Christian parents is that the authority that we have in the home is based on moral principles and moral truths found in the scripture, found in this book. And you may ask the question, is there any difference between my authority as a parent in the home, that God has ordained this authority structure that we read, read about there in Ephesians, or is there... Or is there something different about this moral authority? And I think there is. There's a difference here that I'm making. One is that, yes, God has created us parents with authority from creation. That's that structure. But the idea of this moral authority is that what we teach our children and what we ask them to do is backed up by moral principles and truths found in God's word. And you'll learn why that's important as we go through the message this morning. It is backed up, and it's based on principle. And that's why it's a moral authority. Do you have moral authority in your home? When you say something, your children know it's backed up. It's backed up by Scripture. Well, there's a couple ways and points I wrote down here that we can establish moral authority in the home. And I know that I'm a very young parent. And most of you have more experience than I do. <laughs> and I'd love to hear what you have to say afterwards, and maybe we'll give time for testament if we have the time here. But the first point I have here for establishing moral authority in the home is humble leadership. Humble leadership. Who's the ultimate authority in your home? Is it you? Is it the dad in the home? I see head shaking No. We are not the ultimate authority in the home. God is. God is the authority in our homes. And so when we are submitting under God's authority, it will affect the way our children submit to our authority. It's humble leadership because there is a God over us. And our children should see that we are operating under God's authority. They're going to have to see that. Or they won't, they won't listen to us. They should see us making decisions in the fear of God. And then when we do that as parents, all we're simply doing is channeling God's authority. That's all we're doing. Because it's moral authority. It's backed up by this book. And our children can see it and they know it. That what we say, what dad and mom says, is right and it's true because the book says it. Humble leadership. Children are much more likely to submit when they realize that what dad and mom ask of them is not, not about themselves, but it's about what God wants in their life. It's humble leadership. And you know what? If we make ourselves, if we dads make ourselves the ultimate arbitrary authority in our family, I believe our children will lose respect real quick and rebel. If we are the king in our home and we are the ultimate they will lose respect of us. It becomes my authority versus yours then. And even with young children, you can run into that. 
Whose authority is it? Well, it's just yours or it's mine. But when it's God's authority, we're removed out of that equation, out of that argument, because it's backed up. The moral principles and rules. <clears throat> is it even possible to exercise authority in humility? Is it possible? Some would like to tell you it's not. And they look at all authority as some prideful, domineering exercise that is over them. You know, there is a difference this morning between power and authority. You know, we may have the power to force our children to submit, but do we have the authority? You understand the difference? There's a difference between power and authority. The Bible says in Psalm 29, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. And you know why that verse says that? It's because when the righteous are in authority, they understand that they are under authority, under God's authority. They are humble leaders. But when the wicked are in authority, they rule with power and force. And when we as parents start ruling our households with power and force, we're going to lose our children. Because it's not godly authority. It's not humble authority. And you know, Jesus was the perfect example for us. You want an example of authority that was the perfect example of humility as well? It's in Jesus. Matthew seven twenty nine. it says, For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now how did the people know that? In Mark 1, 27, it says, And they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And then later they even came to Jesus and said, Where do you get your authority? Now what was Jesus doing? Was he out there jumping up and down and shouting at the people, And you got to do this, and you got to do that? No, that's not what Jesus was doing. He said he simply came to do the will of the Father. And he taught. And the people heard the difference. The people felt the difference. And they said, here's a man with authority. It was moral authority. It was authority backed up by God. And they could see it. And that's the kind of authority we need to have in our homes. An authority that's backed up by moral principles. Jesus said, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. That's a humble leader right there. And that's what we as dads and moms need to do in our homes. That we need to seek the will of the Father. And then our children can see who we really want them to follow in life. John 14.10 Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. The perfect example of humble leadership. In Jesus Christ. Jesus' listeners knew that his real authority was from something higher. From the Father himself. And our children will know where our real authority comes from in life. They will. And we need to submit to God as parents. And our children will understand that we're just channeling God's authority. Because it's backed up by the book. Backed up by the Bible. Second point I have here for establishing moral authority in the home is to have clarity of conviction. Clarity of conviction. You know, clarity is the ability to make a clear and memorable statement that another person can easily repeat and explain to other people. Okay, that's what clarity is. That you're able to make a clear and memorable statement. Well, what is conviction? 
Conviction is to believe in what you're saying so strongly that you actually do what you tell other people to do. And so what are we asking here when we say you need to have clarity of conviction? Well, we're saying that you need to have the ability to make a clear and memorable statement by what you do. That's clarity of conviction. You want an example of it? In Joshua 24, 15, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's clarity of conviction. There was no doubt in the people's minds that Josh, where Joshua stood. And if we can have clarity of conviction in our homes, our children will have no doubt where we stand. And there will be direction. Convictions are not just self-righteous ideas. My way or the highway. That's not what conviction is. Conviction is what is right and what is wrong, and it's sticking with it. That is what conviction is. You know, too many times today we get the idea that someone has a lot of convictions. Well, they're just a little bit self-righteous. That's not what we're talking about this morning. It's to believe in what you're saying so strongly that you actually do what you tell other people to do. And my friends, today there's too many dads and moms in the homes wavering in their conviction. And the children are lost. The children are lost. And it's so disappointing when we speak to other parents or maybe they're, they're out in the world or wherever it is. And they like what they see in our homes. And you can just sense the weakness in their life to actually make it happen. Isn't that sad? You know, they might compliment our children for behaving in the store, whatever it is. And yet you sense in them that there's just, there's a void. They don't have the clarity of conviction in their home to make it happen. Let's have that in our homes. Do your children know why you do the things you do? Do your children know why? What do you tell them when you don't, when they want to go buy ice cream on Sunday? Or go shopping on Sunday? What do you tell them if they want to hunt or fish on Sunday? Or why we don't wear short pants. Or why we don't go to the beach and wear swimwear. Why? What are you going to tell them? Do you have clarity of conviction in your life? Mark Twain said it this way. When a man is known to have no settled convictions of his own, he can't convict other people. Isn't that the truth? And that's a message for us preachers as well. That we can't convict other people if we have no settled convictions of our own. Conviction is worthless unless it's converted into conduct. And we as dads and moms need to live it. We need to have clarity of conviction in our life. We have many beckoning voices that are calling our children somewhere else. You be the voice. You be the clarity in their life. And especially us dads in the home. We need to lead the home and teach with clear conviction. It's our responsibility, dads, to teach in our homes. And our family should never doubt our consistency in it. I know we're human, we fail at times, but there should be a consistency in our life with our convictions. The third point I have here for establishing moral um, truth in our home, or what do I have here? Moral, <laughs> moral authority, that's what it is. Moral authority in our home is clarity of purpose. We talked about purpose last night with our youth. So this morning it's for you parents. If your youth don't have purpose, do you have purpose? What do we have as a purpose in our life? Where are you going? Which way are you heading in life? Why are you living the way you're living? 
You know, one of the things that purpose does for us is it brings into focus what is most important in our life. And what is that for us as parents? What is your primary purpose in life? Do your children know what your purpose is? And I think our primary purpose should be to follow Jesus Christ. You could word it other ways, but to follow Jesus is our purpose as a Christian parents in the home. And do our children know that that's our primary purpose? Do they know that our goal is to follow Jesus? You know, a clear purpose gives, decision, gives meaning to the decisions we make on a day-to-day basis. You think about this, dads. If you take your son on a drive down the road and he's behind the wheel, and you're in the passenger seat, and you say, son, we're going somewhere, I'll tell you where to go. And you drive down the road, you get to the first stop sign, and you tell him, turn left here. And your son turns left. And you keep on going. You get to an intersection. You say, turn right here. And he turns right. Maybe you get to a roundabout, and you say, go around over here to the left. Maybe you get, he gets on the highway, and the boy's listening to you. Your son's listening to you. But after a while, he has a question. And he asks you, he says, Dad, where are we going? And if the dad says, I don't know, will any of his authority that he exercised in the past hold any weight? No. Did turning left at the first intersection make any sense? No. Did turning right at the next one make any sense? No. What I'm telling you here is that if you have no purpose... The things you're telling your children, your family on a day-to-day basis make no sense to them. You must have clarity of purpose. And if our authority in the home lacks direction, we will be very unconvincing in our leadership in the home. And the same is true anywhere. An employer, if you're an employer or if you have administration in the church, if we lack direction, we will be unconvincing. And our, our children will not see the purpose in doing what we're doing. So let's have clarity of purpose. Let's, let's make it important in our homes to discover that purpose and to find it and to seek it together as a family. What is my goal as a family? What is, what is our purpose as a family in this area in which you live, in the Peak Congregation? What is your purpose here? And you can have discussions as a family about that. Why we're here, what we're doing. How we're going to help the church. How we're going to be of service in the community. How we're going to do this. It's purpose. And your children won't ask a lot of questions when you ask them to go help the neighbor then because they know the purpose. They won't ask questions again. Well, the fourth point I have here for establishing moral authority in the home is to be filled with wisdom. And you know, most of us look, hear that and we say, We don't feel very wise sometimes, do we? You know, Lord sends us children, and some days it feels like we're missing a couple pages out of the manual. (laughs) You know, say, Lord, what, what am I to do now with these children that you've given me? But you know, one of the reasons why you hold weight in your children's life, and the reason why you possess moral authority in their life, is that you have answers to their questions. And so my desire for you and my desire for myself is that we would fill ourselves with the wisdom of God in this book so that we have answers for our children. Proverbs 4.1 says, Hear ye children the instruction of a father and attend to no understanding. 
How many questions do you get from your children in a day? <laughs> get a lot. You get some funny questions. You know, one, one day one of our daughters came down. She said, I had a dream. She said, God was mowing the grass in heaven. She, and she started asking questions about that. You know, what's heaven like? You know, what's, there's an opportunity. You're going to have to answer them the truth. We must be filled with wisdom and knowledge of the Bible and, and the, the wisdom that God can give us. Use the opportunities to teach them. And we need to have the answers because if we don't have the answers, someone will answer them someday. And it better be you as parents that answer the questions instead of the world. You know, if we answer our children's questions when they're five and six and seven, I firmly believe that when they're 15, 16, and 17, they'll come back with questions. At least that's our goal as parents, that we have the answers to life's questions. And if we have the answers, they keep coming back because they know that dad has the answer. Mom has the answer. That builds confidence in our children's lives, gives them a foundation, and it establishes a moral authority in their life. I know married men and women who go back and ask their parents questions, especially when you're raising children. What did you do when your children acted this way, or how did you train them? Why do they come back to their parents? Because the parents had moral authority in their life. It was backed up by the truth. You know, our children fully trust in what dad tells them. <laughs> I've heard children say this with a straight face. Something that may not even be necessarily true, but they heard dad say it. And it is the gospel. <laughs> whether it's the kind of truck you drive or whether it's the tractors you run, whatever it is, they believe it. And so be filled with wisdom and teach them because they will take it wholeheartedly. You know, the world is full of knowledge, but they lack wisdom. And so if, you, if you're sitting here this morning and you think, you know, I'm not a scholar, I'm not an intellectual, I, I don't do a lot of... It's not the knowledge so much, it's the wisdom. You know, I've seen a lot of parents who weren't, you know, real intellectual people, and they can give their children good, sound wisdom for how to live life and how to do things. And that's what we're after this morning. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. You know, I think God sends children in our life. And yes, we're missing a couple pages of the manual. You know why? Because when we get to those missing pages, we need to turn to him. That's why he gives us those missing pages. And I just had an employee recently that was having, they think, maybe some medical issues with the child. And the child was small and, of course, can't express and he's, he said, I prayed. I said, Lord, what am I to do with my, my child? What am I to do? Missing pages. Turn to God. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally. And you know what? It is a good request. And I think God loves when we ask him how to raise our children. He does. Look at his heart here in Deuteronomy 6. Thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life. That's the heart of God when it comes to teaching our children. So let's be filled with wisdom. It establishes authority in our children's lives. The last point I have here is discipline. Discipline. There's a reason why I have discipline last. And it's not that I, I don't believe in disciplining our children. I do. But I think sometimes we can, we can overdo it. We can get it in the wrong order. These other points that I mentioned, I think, are almost more important than discipline. 
But the Bible does command us to discipline our children. And we can go through the whole book of Proverbs and you can read it verse after verse after verse after verse. And I really wondered, did the proverb, did he get disciplined when he was young? <laughs> he must have. He must have. And I just, I'm just going to read a number of these verses and, and comment about them. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. One of the reasons why we discipline our children is because we delight in them. We want them to turn out right. You know, you don't have to have children very old, very long, and you realize that you better get together your discipline protocol or you're going to be out of control soon. We have an interest and we delight in them. And another verse in Proverbs 13, 24 says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. And our children don't understand it sometimes why we chasten them, but do you tell them it's because you love them and you want them to walk the right path? Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. There's many children today growing up in homes, and they get beyond the point of hope. You can't take a paddle to an 18-year-old boy. Chasten your son while there is yet hope. And it will spare you so much. It will spare you so much in the way of training children. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. There is one thing that you're teaching and you're training. And the moral authority you have in your home will never escape your children's lives and minds. Never. And I think that's why sometimes when we see young people leave the church and they go into the world, that they are soon involved in some of the most horrendous lifestyles and horrible crimes. You know why? Because the teaching of their parents and the church is in here and they're trying to get away from it all. It often amazes me how that, how that works that way. Train up a child in the way that he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22.15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Another verse in Proverbs 23.13, withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. And that word beat simply means strike. We're not talking about beating people till they're black and blue. We're talking about using the rod to help our children understand that sin brings pain. Isn't that what we're trying to teach them for later in life? That if you do wrong, there is pain. And that's what our children need to learn from discipline. Proverbs 29, 15, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. And how true that is. How embarrassed the mothers are when they're dragging their children down the floor in the grocery store aisle, kicking and screaming, because they spared the rod and it brought them to shame. Brought them to shame. And here's a good one for us young parents. Maybe you have your first child, and I know how hard it is to discipline your first child. <laughs> you put a lot of energy and love in that child, and you're your first one. But the Bible says in Proverbs 29, 17, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Just remember this, that if you spare your child, it will not bring you rest. The problem will get worse. The discipline issues will get out of hand. 
You know, that's something first-time parents learn. You'll learn. If you're here this morning, you'll learn. <laughs> the rest of us will give you grace as you learn that. But just remember that principle. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Establishing moral authority in the home comes through discipline. But there's a couple things we need to remind ourselves of with discipline. Number one is there needs to be a balance between discipline and mercy. And the reason why there needs to be a balance is because God himself is a balance of discipline and mercy in our lives. And if we think we're any better than God, we're mistaken. Because sometimes we're going to be wrong. And one, one man said it this way. He said, I remember the times my dad gave me mercy more than the times he spanked me. <laughs> he said, I knew I had it coming. And then dad just pulled me aside and said, you know, he spared him. There is times our children need to see mercy from us as parents. And there is times when they deserve every bit to get a spanking. But we show mercy. You know, it requires discretion as parents when to do that. Just follow the Spirit's leading, I think, in your life. And it takes discretion. Another point for discipline here is to understand the world that your children live in. Your children are not 30-some years old. They're not 40-some years old. They're not even 20-some years old. You have to understand the world in which your children live. And if, our, if we as dads and moms become calloused to the world that our small children live in, we become callous to their desires and their hopes and their pleasures and their disappointments and their sorrows and the pain that they face. Our discipline won't go far if we don't understand the world they live in. And that involves understanding the temperaments of our children. They're all different. They come into our homes in all different kinds of personalities. Seek to understand your world the, children, the child lives in. And remember... That affirmation is stronger than correction. You know, we don't often realize that because the, the discipline is more dramatic than the affirmation. The discipline is, is the, the conflict point that we reach with our children. But affirmation is probably 99% of a child's experience in our home. And that affirmation involves the environment that they live in in our homes. If our discipline is going to be effective, the 99% of the world they live in outside of that discipline moment must be affirming in their life. Because if it's the other way around, we're not going to keep our children. We're not going to get their hearts. Because they will think that all life entails is discipline. And that's not true. And yes, in our child's life, it's not going to feel like love when they're getting disciplined. And it shouldn't feel like love in a way. But they understand that it is because 99% of the other time they know that mom and dad are there. The home is a loving environment. And that's why they can get through the discipline. That's why they learn. Because they realize that this is just one moment in time with the rest of the time being an environment of affirmation. It's an environment of security and love for our children. Another point we need to remember in discipline is that we must maintain an emotional connection to the child. Do not lose your connection with your child when you're disciplining your children. Eventually, your child should care more about disappointing you than the pain of the punishment to come. That is the goal of us parents, and that sounds like an idealistic, wonderful world to live in. 
But isn't that where we need to get to? That the child seeks the parent's approval. And they're more disappointed in not obeying you than they, they fear the pain of the punishment. And I think the older our children get, I think that's our goal as parents. And I think if discipline is done correctly, that moral authority, that weight that we have in our homes, that our authority carries, will be strengthened in our child's life. Discipline can do that. We need discipline in our children's lives to show them the right way. And it establishes authority in their life. You know why? Because it's backed up. It's moral authority that we have from the scripture. And in conclusion here, <clears throat> establishing moral authority in the home means something for us parents. There's something we need to know. And that is, we need to know what's in the book. We need to know where the moral authority comes from. We need to experience God in our own lives before we can establish some kind of moral authority in our homes. If mom and dad are not there morally, and they're losing out spiritually, our homes are not going to be established with the authority that God wants us to establish them with. And so we as parents need to know the fundamental truths and principles that are in this book. Another point in conclusion here is let's be an encouragement to each other in this thing called parenting. Let's be an encouragement to each other in raising children. Because it is tough. And sometimes in young parents' life, it's brutal. <laughs> you know, we need to encourage each other. Some of you older ones know the path that we're taking. And you can be there and you can say, there comes a time when that's over. You know, point us to the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> but you know, in the heat of the moment, it's tough. And for young parents, you know, we welcome these children. We love them so much. But at times, they try us so hard. And we need the grace of God. We need the grace of God and we need the prayers of the church. I don't know how often you pray for your parents around here. I think I heard it a couple times out here. Pray for the parents in the church. Because they're raising the next church. They're raising the next church. You know, many times it can, parenting can become discouraging. And it certainly doesn't help if we're overly critical in young parents' lives. And there's times for advice and encouragement in the right way. But it doesn't help if the older ones in the congregation are always looking on with a critical eye and saying they're not doing something right. There's a lot of young families I know in our, own home, in our own home congregation who are doing something right. You know, you don't get from point A to point B in one day. You know, when I see them struggling with a child in church, I told my wife, so just give them time. I've been there. You know, and you can give them pointers, but give them grace. Give them time, especially if it's a first first child for them. There's a lot they're going to learn. And yes, they know the truth. They know what their parents told them about discipline. They know what the church said. But I'm telling you, when it's your own child, it's, it's hard. And so let's give, let's give our parents grace. And let's find ways to lift each other up. Let's find ways to lift each other up in parenting. And I think together, there's so much that a church family does for a family, if you know what I mean. There's so much that a church family can do. You know, when our children go, and I've heard them do this already, they, they talk, even the little people talk to the other little people, and they say, you know, my dad and mom don't let me do this, you know. There you go. That's support that you have in your church family to raise a family and to establish moral authority in their lives. Do any of you have a testimony? Some advice? 
or maybe a time of grace that God showed you in raising a family. I'll give you opportunity here for a few minutes. Nobody here wants to speak up. <laughs> you don't think you have it all put together, do you? <laughs> Maybe some of you mothers have a, have a word to say about raising children. Keep on keeping on. The daily grind of parenting. Yeah. I'd like to say amen to what you said this morning. And it helps me remember that there is no more important thing than our families. They're first. They're before everything else. When we're tried to the very end of our personal abilities, which all parents get there. <laughs> Lisa smiles. Yeah, we do. You know, and family is important. It should come first. How many things are we sacrificing so our family can come first? And that's a question we need to ask ourselves. And we need to be okay with sacrificing for our families. And the preacher needs to be okay with it, too. <laughs> when I was ordained, they told me, they said, your family comes first. Don't lose your family for trying to do too much work in the church. And I think there's some truth to that. <clears throat> well, God bless you in your parenting. I don't have all the answers. I really don't. You know, we, we talk at church and we have more questions than we do answer sometimes. But be faithful. Keep on keeping on like was mentioned in that daily grind. And live by the book. Establish those moral truths in your family's life. And they'll see that it's not you that needs to be perfect. They'll see God through you. And that's the most important thing we can do in our lives is show our children God. And so let's be faithful. Why don't we stand for dismissal prayer? And uh, Brother Sam, would you lead us in that? <clears throat>